0: Obviously, the prosecutor of the ICC is is just about uh, as big a game as you get. I I did not see myself not again uh, offering to serve, or at least being part of the conversation, because at least, especially in this in this particular time, there is a lot that needs to be said.
1: We we looked at all the qualifications. It was a big picture. The capitalised prosecutor.
2: We can't expect someone to be an inspiring world leader, a deft diplomat, a brilliant boss and an incisive legal strategist, all at the same time. But in fact, we do. Impeccable personal and professional integrity. I mean, a list of really, really incredible sort of characteristics. We can't conjure them up. And we can only hope that that person will have some pixie dust. Our job was to come up with the most highly
1: qualified candidates. We did that. Welcome to our Asymmetrical Haircut special editions of what we are calling the Prosecutor Files.
2: In this series, we try to interview all the candidates for ICC Prosecutor. And in this episode, we're talking to Robert Petit. Hi, Robert.
0: Good morning. Good afternoon.
2: Robert is Canadian and currently senior official at the United Nations follow-on mechanism for the Democratic Republic of the Congo. He used to be a prosecutor dealing with crimes against humanity and war crimes at the United Nations missions in East Timor, the Special Court for Sierra Leone, and even the ECCC. He's one of the five additional candidates that the committee to elect the prosecutor interviewed, but he ended up first on the long list rather than the short list.
1: And the standout line in his application letter is, while there is clearly an aspirational aspect to the international criminal law that has a broader relevance than what simply happens in court, those aspirations cannot be realised without a solid foundation and core criminal litigation work.
2: Our first and most basic question, Robert, is why on earth do you want this job?
0: I can't take a hint since it's the second time I apply for it.
2: Eh? Well, I was going to ask that. That was part of what I was going to ask. I mean, you know, why do you want it? And is you, have you got an increased chance this time?
0: Oh, I wouldn't. I, I, I'm not going to comment on that. I wouldn't know. But I think, certainly, contrary to the first time, the, the, the process is a lot more fluid than, uh, than it was last time. Well, for the same, for the exact reason I mentioned during this, this, this virtual town hall, I mean, wanting to be a prosecutor is why I went to law school. Um, and uh, if whatever skills, abilities I have can be can help in bringing justice to victims, I I honestly consider it a privilege. Uh, and if I have an opportunity to do it, whatever it is, um, I feel res- responsibly I must step up and see if I can if I can if I can serve. I, you know, I, and obviously the prosecutor of the ICC is is just about uh, as big a game as you get. I I did not see myself not again uh, offering to serve or at least being part of the conversation because at least especially in this in this particular time, there is a lot that needs to be said. Uh, but uh, I'll be you know I'm I'm. Again, I've been—I feel privileged. I've been able to do this uh, in the different places, in different ways that I've been doing it. And if it's not this post, I'll be happy to keep on uh, and uh, and continue my career somewhere else.
1: And this is not the most easy time to be an ICC prosecutor. Um, What would you do if you or other staff or even your family is sanctioned by the U.S.? I mean, maybe the prospect is less likely with the new administration, but it's hard to say. They've never been quite fond of the ICC, so.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's 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 a very unfortunate, uh, a very fort, very unfortunate stance uh, that was taken by the the outgoing administration. We'll see what the incoming uh, administration does. I suspect uh, the engagement will be, uh, perhaps more, akin to what it was uh, under uh, Obama. Um, but in any event, um, you know. You sign on to being a prosecutor knowing that a lot of people uh, are not going to be uh, supportive of your work uh, to various levels. Um, I think it's, it's, it's certainly nothing compared to those prosecutors who are working in the trenches today and, and, and have to leave the court uh, side by side with the accused that they're prosecuting uh, and, uh, and have to live uh, in, in, within the communities that are, that are both uh, with perpetrators and victims. Uh, So um, it's unfortunate, it's something that you have to uh, make state, you know, to to, to clearly uh, uh, take a stance against.
2: And how would you get political support across, uh, you know, internationally? You've got a lot of very politically sensitive cases coming up in the pipeline, Palestine, Philippines, uh, Ukraine, and even the Afghanistan one. So how would you go about getting support?
0: Well. Uh, you get support, I think, by being as transparent as you can about uh, the evidence and the way you're interpreting the law and your mandate. Uh, you have a tasks to do. Uh, you should be guided by no other consideration, obviously, than the evidence and the, and the law and, and the interest of justice in interpreting your mandate. Uh, you have to be very informed about... Because the court is a political actor uh, as soon as it steps into a situation. Um, That's not what should drive it, obviously, but it it needs to be conscious of it, especially DOTP. So, you get the best best understanding, if you want, of the political situation, the the, the, the actors and how fluid it is um, to best be able to advance the interests of of the court. And I think there is a core principle that at least 123 states have bought into, which is there must be accountability for mass crimes. Uh, That represents an enormous basis of support. Uh, for your action, uh, that you have to be able to muster uh, and uh, bring to bear in the appropriate way at the appropriate time. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think we, we saw it eventually, uh, uh, the response of state parties uh, to the actions of the U.S. Um, in support of the court, various state parties, and and then and the ASP. So, um, I think by being able to Discharge your mandate in the most efficient way possible having clear results uh, and making the best use of your resources. You have the best arguments to motivate support.
1: And have you thought already about how you would kind of galvanize political support, given all the very politically sensitive cases in the pipelines? Uh, we have, of course, Afghanistan uh, that you are that the office is investigating, but we also have Ukraine, Palestine, and the Philippines coming up.
0: You have to be as transparent as you can, without obviously, you know, jeopardizing the integrity of your cases. Um, in, in why these cases are ongoing, why they're proceeding, why they matter, and how you are applying simply the law and your mandate to the evidence. But the con- the political context uh, is obviously relevant always, and you have to have the best information possible in assessing that political context in how you present uh, your, 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 your moves, uh, your case, if you want, uh, and how you best muster, as I said, the support that you're going to need because, you know, The ICC has always been dependent on the kindness of strangers, but in this case, well, the the state's parties. So you must have, obviously, the support of the state parties. So your best argument, again, comes down to the fact that you're doing the best job possible uh, in accordance with the evidence and the resources that you have. And hopefully the results follow, which are often your best argument.
2: And We asked the community listening to the podcast if they had some questions they'd like to put to candidates. International lawyer Priya Pillai rose to the occasion. She even recorded her questions. So her first one is this. If elected, what is your plan and what are your priorities for the first 100 days?
0: Of course now we're all you know we're all sounding a lot more intelligent than we did you know a couple of months ago before the experts report um, but um, I have a great deal of, of 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 confidence in the experts report knowing some of the people who actually have, at least for the OTP part work on it and just the results uh, to me is very useful i think and very grounded uh, in the reality of of what what is the OTP with the caveat uh, and i think we all need to be aware of this uh, uh, I think it's seventy or eighty staff members out of 400 and some participated in this. So how representative is the input? Uh, you know, it's 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 certainly something that would we'll try to uh, assess in the transition period. Uh, is there some things that were missed by the experts or that should be qualified or you know what's? I try to get as as I said, I'm a big believer in doing my homework, so I would try to get as much possible input. What I think would certainly be one priority uh, would be to address the climate, uh, the working culture of the office, because everything flows from that. Uh, You cannot get the best out of people, and therefore you don't have your best chance at success if people are working in, quote unquote, a climate of fear, Uh, and if they are not motivated uh, to give their best. in some ways, it's perhaps the easiest thing to change and probably also the hardest at the same time. It must come from the top. Uh, you know, the, the the culture of an office starts with how you treat people. And for that, people must be aware of your perspective on this. And I would try to address this at the very beginning, uh, addressing as many as people as possible and initiating feedback from them as much as possible. Uh, I would certainly hope to have lot more contact with uh, the staff uh, and certainly encourage whatever form of contact would be would be useful and, and, and appropriate and uh, safe considered safe for them uh, to give me input um, because as i said if you're not getting the best out of people despite the circumstances and you know these are these are these are important jobs these are well paid jobs their the, the environment is is good. There sh- the issues that need to be addressed can be addressed, but first you need to know how the people are perceiving it and the solutions that they uh, they envision. So my my first one, day one, uh, if you want a priority, would be to pass on that message uh, that I want staff uh, to feel empowered, to feel engaged, to feel respected um, and to feel valued. Uh, and that's going to be the unwavering focus from, from, from day one to the last. Within the first hundred days, um, I would certainly help i would certainly hope again after having during the transition try and figure out what the UTP has done uh, and why it's done it because you're going to need to know understand the reasoning behind some of these decisions if you're hoping to change it and you're going to you're going be able to you you have to be able to understand why people bought into that reasoning if you're going to change their minds so people have been doing things a certain way that obviously has created some issues why did they think this was a good idea why did they persevere uh, in the face that there's been a lot of criticism on some of these specific issues Um, so why hasn't this changed over time Uh, to be able again as i said to you know get the support you need to change but it's going to be a team effort um, as with everything in this business so i would certainly try to understand that uh, all of that during the transition and then from day one, try and implement some of the key, what I consider the key recommendations of the uh, of the experts, structurally first, because that's maybe the easiest uh, thing. Uh, certainly, I think a reassignment uh, and uh, a revaluing of the duties of the deputy prosecutor would be would be would be important.
2: Can I just ask a quick, quick Can I just ask a quick question? There, uh, you say the deputy prosecutor. You could have two. Would you think about doing that?
0: If I have money for it, sure, uh, but I would much—I uh, don't think anyone has much appetite uh, to fund that and I would much rather f- fight for three or four additional investigators at this stage uh, than I would for a deputy prosecutor. Um, I realize it's in the interest of some states to have another position of prosecutor and there's a lot to be said as well substantively, uh, uh, but in my experience in different places that I worked in, and uh, given the recommendation of the experts, which I agree with, I don't think that's a battle I'd pick right now. Um, I would certainly try to maximize the resources I have now, which is one deputy, uh, which I think can be best, better used uh, as being the head of the three divisions, as, uh, as outlined by the expert. Not so much with uh, the, uh, the, the administrative side of things. Um, I think I would think about having a perhaps a... a Redefine Chef de Cabinet's position. Uh, that would be a more managerial uh, uh, position uh, to deal with certain things. Um, I would want a deputy uh, who would be either a prosecutor or juge uh, d'instruction uh, to be uh, much more focused on the substantive work. So, priority number one: changing the culture and making it known where I want to uh, the office, to, where I want the office to go. Um, second. Anything that high that administratively speaking is within the the remit of the OTP. Uh, I would as well create as soon as I could a group of people who would be tasked with streamlining and and, and assembling and streamlining all the different policy papers, operational uh, papers, uh, and lessons learned that we have. Because I think it's something that struck me uh, that I was a bit surprised. I must uh, say. You have, to have, you have to have a Bible. You have to have somewhere where everything is and where everything is explained and that you can refer to and be held accountable for having applied. And that has to be uh, as thorough as possible. We have that in the Federal Prosecution Service in Canada. Uh, we had that in, in, in different, different, different places that I've worked in. And it, it's very important uh, to that it be a living document Uh, that people, that there's a way to contribute it, to improve it, Uh, but that people can go and see and how to, not to confine their discretion, but to guide the exercise of that discretion, at least when it comes to the prosecutorial aspect of things, right? So I would task a group to uh, get a first draft of this, let's call it a desk book, uh, uh, within, you know, hopefully within a six-month period because everything is there. Um, and I would want to be kept involved and and uh, and aware of this regularly. Um, I would also
2: okay, okay, just Robert. Robert. I think we've got enough of all of the things you're going to do. You've wang bashed it out there, so let's just take a space for Stephanie to ask a question. Well, <laughs> anyway, Stephanie.
1: So you spoke a lot about what you want to change, and you spoke a bit about your management style, and it seems to be a mix of both. Uh, uh, so I'm wondering. Are you more the micromanaging type or the delegating type? Because there's uh, things in your explanation of both. You want this handbook, you want uh, uh, a thing to do everything, uh, uh, a way to do things precisely, but you also would like to delegate maybe more uh, managerial tasks. So how would you describe yourself when managing a team?
0: Um, I believe that success is a teamwork issue. And failure is a leadership issue, in most cases. Uh, in this type of business, uh, micromanagement will lead to failure. Uh, for first of all, for the most obvious reason, it's because again, it demotivates people, uh, and you cannot get the best out of them because they don't feel engaged. They feel directed, uh, and that's not uh, you know, that's not how you get the best out of people. Um, Second, it's just simply too much to be micromanaging uh, an, an office of this, uh, of this type, right? And um, maybe I didn't express myself you know, clearly, but this desk book that I'm talking about, I specifically said that it's something to guide you into discharging discretion. It's not something to order you to do this. It will tell you, for example, uh, it will set out the criteria for disclosure Right, it will refer to the jurisprudence. It will refer to the lessons learned, um, and then it's within your responsibility uh, to apply these. And if you can't apply them, to be able to explain why, right, and maybe then we can learn an additional lesson and be improve on this and get another you know variation of things. So, I firmly believe uh, that a leader's job is to enunciate a clear vision of. What the aims are um, in this particular uh, type of, of to to be able to clearly enunciate how one views one's mandate, what are the acceptable results, and that it is everyone's responsibility, but starting at the top, uh, to do your best uh, to achieve those results. Again, you cannot do that if people don't feel empowered, don't feel respected, don't feel valued. Um, You know, the trite phrase of uh, having an open door policy. That's what I've always done in everywhere that I've worked with, right? Um, I feel that you can only lead if you listen, uh, if you're ready to learn, uh, and if you empower somebody to find solutions uh, in the responsibilities that you gave to them. It's a no-brainer. You can only succeed if you work as a team.
2: You've um, spoken about some of the, let's say, cultural issues uh, that may have been that may have surfaced in an analysis of uh, what's working and not working at the OTP. Are you going to look for new blood there in terms of staff? And most specifically, we had a question in from Owiso Owiso, um, an academic, to ask, as he puts it himself bluntly, how are you going to ensure that the OTP is not predominantly white as it currently is?
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think one of, the, one of the, the things that I value most about my various experiences, having worked in different countries, uh, in different law, legal systems, uh, in different mechanisms, and alongside people from different cultures and backgrounds and religions and, 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 and gender, um, is how much you learn and how better you can be at your job uh, if you have all that, the, ver- the, the, the most varied input possible uh, in how to do this. Um, so if only from an operational point of view, uh, I think it's fundamentally important, fairness aside, uh, that we have as an office as varied uh, possible uh, staff uh, so that we can best benefit uh, from the different ways uh, of achieving success that these, uh, th- these perspectives would bring. Uh, there does appear to be, uh, again, Based on I'm 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 an external candidate, but based on the reports, uh, the experts' report, and based on other information, there does appear to be an issue uh, with uh, geographical representation. It will need to be addressed. Um, as will gender balance uh, need to be addressed. Those are two fundamental issues that I think uh, I would hope by mid mandate to have a you know really concrete uh, difference uh, in how the 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 office is shaped. Uh, Again, doing your homework, you have to figure out what the first, what are the human resources aspect of all of this. Uh, You're also talking about people's livelihood. Um, And uh, you need to strike a proper balance between being fair uh, and getting, uh, achieving, being fair and achieving fairness. Um, So you're going to have to identify the reason because this is an ongoing problem. This has been, uh, you know, and, I may not know about the ICC itself, but I certainly, in other institutions that I've worked with, there's a pattern that sets itself from the very beginning, consciously or not, but that has effects all throughout the the existence of that particular body, and it's very hard to correct. So uh, I would certainly try and see what are the reasons why this particular state of affair has has developed within the institution, uh, and trying, in, in all due fairness, Uh, to to everyone to make sure that going forward, at the very least, for whatever becomes available in terms of posts, uh, gender balance and geographical balance uh, is a stated priority uh, in any recruitment process. I would also see, again, within the limits of HR and within the limits of after assessing carefully the contribution of everyone, certainly above P5 and above, uh, who should be and how to go about uh, promoting uh, individuals to these P5 and, and, and above posts, but in any level. Um, and to try and, not to try, to be able to achieve, as I said, at least in mid mandate, a much different uh, representation, uh, both gender and geographic, within the OTP. But it's not going to be an easy task. And it has to be, as I said, to, to be done in fairness to everyone. But it has to be a criteria that cannot be, uh, that has to be a, a, a priority.
1: While we're on the subject of the uh, uh, independent expert reports, um, there has been a lot of talk also about uh, misconduct. So I'm going to be very Dutch and very blunt and direct and just ask you, have you ever been accused of bullying or misconduct? No. And have you been in an office where you witnessed this kind of behavior? And if so, what did you do at the time?
0: Uh, You're going to give me a pause because I a 31-year career in seven different four different continents um there has been um yeah uh, there has been uh, for example well in canada uh in, in my section instances of individuals who have felt uh, to who have felt uh, uh the need to come and consult with me about uh, about how they felt uh, that they were being uh, harassed, um, and um, n- not in a managerial, managerial position, uh, the advice was sought, but just uh, as, a, as a coworker and as a, you know, in terms of personal, more personal level, and uh, you know, obviously, uh, in both instances, helped them uh, uh, get get a resolution through the, the the channels that were available, uh, and 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 offered support in various ways. Uh, Don't want to get too specific. Um, if I get, you know, if I get more time to think about it, I'm sure, I'm sure there would be in different places. Um,
1: have you thought about, we're not talking about your own experience, but have you thought about ahead of, uh, when you, you read about this culture of fear, you know, including also a sexual harassment at the OTP? if you found that OTP staff were involved at the ICC, you know, have you thought about measures you would take to, to prevent that? Other than the open door policy, which you already mentioned,
0: yes, prevent it. Uh, As I said, from the, I mean, you know, eh, okay. In these days of COVID, you can't get 400 people in the room. But uh, you know, the first thing I would do on that first day, the transition, forget about being sworn in, uh, would be to communicate to everyone, um, as I said, that uh, it's it's it'll be my commitment to make sure that when they come to work, uh, they feel safe, they feel valued, they feel respected, they feel empowered. Um, and if there's any, uh, in anything that they think I should know. That's not to bypass appropriate channels and recourses that are in place. Uh, it's to make sure that those are known, applied uh, and, and improved if need be, um, because that's probably the quickest way you can get that done is if somebody who's in power knows about it uh, and any of the shortcomings of the available resources. Uh, but I would, as I said from the very beginning, uh, uh, tell them that uh, that will be my commitment I mean, there'll be. I, I'm not crazy about that zero tolerance uh, phrase uh, because I think it's sometimes a cop out uh, to not making decisions. Uh, but I certainly would uh, will take any allegation of any untoward behavior, any harassment or bullying or uh, or discrimination uh, with the with the presumption that they are uh, true uh, and act accordingly until uh, proven otherwise. Um, being a prosecutor especially doing sexual assault um you you know that if somebody comes forward you understand what's involved in that the cost that comes with somebody coming to tell you about their victimization and while there is instances of you know find me a prosecutor that hasn't been lied to well you know i'll find you somebody who's never worked in a day but uh you 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 know, as a prosecutor, you know that victims come forward, as I said, as a great cause and because it's true in most instances. Now, you may not always be able to prove it, and that's the, probably the, the biggest burden of this job. But so I will take any allegation extremely seriously. I, I have to tell you, when I saw this this climate of fear, uh, it's so unacceptable in any institution, but in a place where you're supposed to be prosecuting those or holding accountable those guilty of the worst crimes. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's just unbelievable. Um, that we've, I mean, I've known, you know, being around so long, one of the few privileges of being old, uh, is that you do learn things and hear about things. Um, and the morale has been a problem at UTP for, for quite some time, for various reasons. Uh, but that it reached that the level where staff has to be assured of being safe and anonymous, if they come forward to tell somebody about how they're working, it's just, it's just, it's just not acceptable. Um, so, I will take a very clear, strong, fair, but unwavering uh, attitude of, of, uh, of not tolerating, uh, taking seriously and not tolerating uh, any kind of behavior like this.
2: I want now to turn to more um, outwards rather than inwards. Um, part of your job, if you were elected, would to be the public face of the ICC in many ways. How would you deal with that?
0: I think, uh, you know, having worked again in in, in, you know, in all these different places, uh, uh, and some of them in situ, some of them in the in on site where the crimes have been committed, so living among the, the survivors and the victims and the population, the concerned communities, uh, you learn very quickly that um, if you don't have outreach and witness support and protection uh, if you don't have that down from the beginning you're gonna create yourself some serious problems down the road and, and that you know very very quickly so you learn to be you learn the responsibility that come with being that contact point right that that face as you said but at the same time you learn that also when you're a national prosecutor, when you're first dealing with your first victim and, and or, or their, their families, right? You represent society. You represent a system that is going to try to give justice to a victim. Uh, so you learn very quickly, and I think that's one of the things that a, a professional prosecutor brings to, to to this job: is a sense that you're speaking not for yourself, but for a system, for uh, uh, and for the interest of of society, right? Um, So it's something that you learn uh, that you, as I said, you're not representing someone, but you're representing uh, something much bigger and uh, being able to convey that, being able to explain your mandate, the way you view your mandate, the way you interpret it, um, what you can and oftentimes what you cannot do, which is the hardest part of the conversation. You cannot shy away from that. You have to be able to engage communities as directly as possible. Um, And although I think the next prosecutor will need, you know, uh, at least at the beginning of the mandate, uh, needs to be very much focused on The Hague and the office and what needs to be done there. Um, The other priority is always engaging as much as possible, directly as possible, with affected communities, victims, their representatives. Uh, I've seen firsthand in Rwanda, for example, when we didn't seem to have a clue about outreach, how, you know, what was happening in Arusha got completely distorted once it reached uh, Kigali, right? Where it it would have been so simple to set up a TV and have an interpreter present and, you know, let's get going. Uh, Something we eventually learned in Sierra Leone. So, you know, if you cannot explain to people uh, convincingly, not expecting to make them happy, uh, but being able to explain to them why you're doing what you're doing, how you see your responsibility to them uh, and how you're best able to exercise that responsibility. Uh, obviously you shouldn't be in that position. So um, I think it's a I think it's a very fundamentally important part of the job uh, and uh, I think I have, as I said, I haven't worked directly in these communities, having come face to face with them, having to have to explain, uh, the job uh, and the responsibilities uh, I think I'm uh, I would be well suited to do it
1: Priya had another question related to how you would represent the ICC so let's hear that now
2: for civil society organizations would engagement with the ICC look any different with you in charge
0: well again uh, to me the two Priority, the priority for the, the, the prosecutor, at least in the next in, in, in short term, uh, would be to try to, you know, clean up the house a little bit, uh, so focus on The Hague, um, the only exception being engaging with communities and civil society organizations are, you know, a way or, or, or of engaging directly uh, with representative and getting the best, uh, probably the best feedback about the needs, uh, questions uh, and expectations. Uh, of, of communities so I'm uh, I'm not aware of uh, if for example there is currently uh, a, a framework by which the prosecutor uh, regularly on uh, a planned way uh, engages with affected communities um, that's certainly something I would uh, I would envision uh, targeting certain situations and uh, certain format that could be different again you know uh, giving the circumstances um, but I think uh, it would be a, it certainly would, I would find it useful to me as a prosecutor, uh, at least, uh, to be able to have regular engagement with, uh, with civil society and communities in 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 a f- formal uh, way, um, and uh, you know as I said I you have to be able to be. Uh, to be as as direct and forthwith and transparent, and engage as possible with the with, with the communities that you're seeking or yeah you're seeking to represent. So uh, i I can only uh, not knowing that I can only commit uh, to as much uh, an engagement and an openness, Uh, to whatever, uh, you know, whatever these communities think are the best way to engage with them, I would certainly consider and try and work that into the other priorities that the the job will entail.
1: I have one quick extra question Um, while we're talking about outgoing, and this is a really simple yes or no question, mostly for the benefit of the media and me as a journalist. Will you uh, appoint a spokesperson? Yes. Okay, thank you. Next question, Janet.
2: Um, oh, well we're recording. <laughs> we're recording this just after the uh, release of the preliminary examination report. Um, now the big uh, decision there was to no longer go ahead uh, with uh, potentially an investigation into uh, alleged war crimes by uh, UK service people in Iraq, and there's been a lot of commentary that. Maybe uh, this shows that prosecutor um, said it was really too difficult to assess the unwillingness. Maybe that was difficult to put to the judges. Maybe she was kind of avoiding this Afghan situation where the government there has invoked Article 18 to say, you know, you you shouldn't go ahead because we are willing. Now, basically, the question is, would you have made the same choice? Now, I know that's difficult to answer because you're not privy to all of the documentation. But... Yes or no? I mean, tell us what what thought process you have around this.
0: Well, you're absolutely right. I can't answer that question. Um, you know, I'm, I, 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 you know, when it's not your case, when you haven't been, uh, uh, when you haven't had the responsibility of making those decisions based on the full knowledge of the facts, uh, there's nothing to be gained by second guessing somewhere else, um, unless you yourself have the time to go through those facts and come to your own decisions. You know, this was a process that took years. Uh, that led to two different decisions uh, well two di- no two decisions i should say uh, i haven't read the report uh, i've read the press release and i've read some comments on it uh, again i don't think it does i don't think it's useful to anyone to make uh, to make uh, an uninformed comment on this i do note that the decision uh, is subject to review uh, i think uh, obviously if there's new facts uh, so I think any prosecutor who will come in uh, will have to take uh, cognizance of all the files uh, that may or may not arise. Uh, so I'll certainly have a look at it if I'm uh, if I'm in that position. But other than that, it's not something I can't comment on. Well,
1: in. Uh, going back to other preliminary investigations the prosecutor has now kind of if you become uh, next prosecutor has left you now with uh, opening an investigation into Nigeria and Ukraine and possibly more in the pipeline a decision on Venezuela I think or Philippines in the next year but she also says she does not have enough resources um, any idea what you would do if you come to this position with all these nice uh, preliminary examinations and not enough funds?
0: Well, I think one of the, certainly one of the most salient issues for the moment is what exactly are, should be the purpose of preliminary examination uh, and how should they be conducted and a clear application of perhaps uh, clearer different standards. Uh, I fully agree with the expert report that there should be a timeline these. Um, That's what we do in in my office in in Canada, uh, the war crimes. Uh, Yes, we do spend time on on figuring out uh, what is the situation, but then we make a decision. Uh, So you need analysts and you need background and then you uh, need to to, to make a decision. Obviously, the context is different at the ICC because there is a complementarity issue. But I think, uh, as I said, uh, clearer uh, more stringent standard uh, and more focused on making a decision on the, you know in view of, of Article Seventeen, rather than uh, this maybe this more prospective uh, aspect of complementarity that seems to have been driving driving the office. Uh, I think would be uh, would be the priority. Once you, once you you have clarified uh, that this is how you are interpreting preliminary your responsibility in preliminary examination. Then, yeah, you look at resources and you make hard choices. And you cannot be afraid of having to explain and justify uh, these uh, these these choices. Um, you know, it's true in national systems. The, the best funded national systems still can't do everything. Um, so more so in these mechanisms that are always uh, Short of resources for the gravity of their mandate, uh, you know how you're supposed to bring justice to hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of victims. Uh, there's no budget that can uh, that you can think of that can really allow you to do that to the full extent uh, of that of that of that victimization. So it's always about making choices. Um, you weigh the gravest uh, 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 the gravity of crimes, obviously. Uh, the evidence, the likelihood of conviction, um, and uh, you try when you're making these decisions to weigh obviously the gravity uh, of uh, the cases, uh, the likelihood of conviction, uh, the types of evidence you're going to have, um, and the potential result of the process on the situation itself. In the meantime, you make sure that whatever cases you're not proceeding on at the time, uh, you can preserve as best as possible uh, so that you eventually uh, can come back to it. Um, But it is always about uh, making priorities. Uh, It is always about justifying uh, the best use of your resources that you have without uh, stopping to fight for more resources. Uh, it just cannot be an impediment to do your work and use the ones that you have then. Um, so, yes, there are some difficult choices. And uh, if a two uh, keeps on uh, making decisions, there will indeed be a, quite a brief there to, to, to pick up.
2: Let's turn to one of the critiques of the court, uh, which is partially based on the kinds of decisions that you're just talking about. Uh, here is Priya again. How would you address criticisms of the i c c as a neo colonial court
0: I think again uh the best argument for this is to be as transparent as you can uh about the cases that you have and why you selected them and why you're proceeding with them uh and uh the court being a court of last resort uh you know should empower and should actually uh yeah, and motivate uh, state parties uh, to, uh, to obviously exercise their complementarity responsibility. Um, but I think if, on a case by case basis, you should be able to make the argument why you picked that case, why you're proceeding with that one. Uh, at the same time, you should be able to explain why you're not taking this other case uh, and why uh, your brief, your docket looks uh, the way it does. I think there was an argument, a sound argument to be made, that uh, the focus of earlier cases on Africa uh, were for a reason. Um, however, uh, it's quite clear that uh, the current prosecutor um, has had a broader uh, perspective, uh, or had occasion to have a broader perspective, uh, and and took some of those decisions. So. Um, It's an issue because, as I said, the court has a political impact in its work and something that you have to be able to address, again, based on on a factual basis.
1: And now let's turn to the process of this uh, prosecutor's election. Um, You're back in the race. There are some comments or some people feel that that's also problematic because the people who are then moved from the long list back to the list are somehow tainted. The CEP comments about you, I don't exactly recall them, but they weren't very flattering and kind of, if I'm being very journalistic and, and bluntly summarizing them, was that you would be a lot of same old, same old, and they weren't sure that you could bring enough kind of innovation. Um so how do you think the process is gone and the fact that those comments uh were brought out do you think that affects your chances
0: I think I think the idea uh, originally uh, of having a process uh, somewhat detached let's say from from the from the past and from the past procedure and from the ASP actually uh or state member state um was an interesting idea uh, I really liked the idea of the committee uh, having this additional uh, board uh, to advise them—I uh, think that was the, the, that was an extremely interesting uh, and something that I would you know, I would think about emulating in certain situations, for example, in in addressing some of these issues uh, in terms of representation within the office. Um, uh, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, now, the hopefully. Uh, consensus will still apply to this decision uh, i think that would be very useful uh, to have a very a unanimous mandate for the next prosecutor if not uh, you know uh, again uh, you you deal you you you, know, you you play the cards that you're dealt with and we'll have to see how uh, how that would uh, play out uh, in terms of support going forward i think the institution uh, will be supported uh, i don't i don't have any doubt about that and <laughs> to be honest, um, okay, so obviously, maybe I need to up my Zoom game, but the, the, the committee had a certain perception of uh, 31 years of, uh, of a career uh, that they got after a 45-minute uh, interaction. Um, I, As I said, I've worked uh, uh, in, 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 in the civil law system, in common law system, in a hybrid system, in ad hoc tribunals, in hybrid tribunals, in national court. I've been prosecuting uh, Rome statute crimes for 20 odd years. Um, I've learned a lot from all of these places and all these people that I've worked with, and I shamelessly tried to copy their best so that I could uh, do my job better. Um, I am never, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the prosecutors for whom I worked with, I won't name uh, names, but had this, uh, taught me a very good lesson Uh, that uh, you always have to be open to change your mind. Um, Nobody gets it right 100% of the time. So I'm always open to learning ways uh, to do better, uh, to seeing how maybe I'm wrong and I could do something different. Again, uh, the only aim here is to help deliver justice. So if you let your ego get in the way, you know and i know it sounds strange to, to talk about you know a, a prosecutor without an ego but the ego is about doing the best job possible and getting the result not about your fame so um i don't i'm not quite sure what the committee perceived and why um but um i think as i said my uh, my track record speaks for itself and i uh I know what I would bring to this and hopefully I've been able to better express it now in, uh, in, these, past, uh, in these past interactions than uh, apparently I, I did during that, uh, that call.
2: And we have a final question here from a member of our community, uh, Sterling Mancuso, who may be Canadian. He's a student at the University of Toronto Faculty of Law and he sent in this recorded question.
0: My question for the candidates is, assuming you are elected, At the end of your nine-year tenure, what are three criteria you would like the world to use to judge whether you were a successful or unsuccessful prosecutor? Fair, productive, and efficient. Can't
2: say better than that. Stephanie, do you have some uh, asymmetrical haircuts questions to ask?
1: Yes. Finally, we always ask the asymmetrical haircuts questions on our podcast, and we are not going to let the prosecutorial candidates get away with not answering them. Um, It's a very job interviewee question. Uh, What didn't we ask you, but we should have?
0: It's called laying a trap. (laughs) She don't give away the secrets of journalism,
2: or, or rather, it's called giving you an opportunity to opine on whatever you'd like to opine on right now.
0: Uh, I think you've covered, uh, you've covered a lot of interesting grounds as you always do. Um, uh, I, I, I'm not sure that I would, uh, that I would have said anything uh, about anything else. I, if only I would again emphasize uh, the need uh, for the next prosecutor to address the culture and the working environment Uh, i can't emphasize enough how i think for me anyways how this is important Um, and uh this the people there deserve better the institution deserve better and the communities that you're alleging to serve deserve better so um i would uh i would have liked more questions on that. So I could repeat this ad nauseum because I think it's really uh, fundamentally important. Uh, the state parties have, uh, have a right to, uh, to deserve better uh, of an institution they, they've created and obviously the communities uh, that, we're, uh, that we're supposed to serve as well.
2: And do you have any professional mistake, anything that you look back on, um, that you say that made me learn uh, a lot from?
0: I think there's always a need to be clearer, uh, or as clear as you can, and not being shy of belating certain point to make sure that people who are working with you uh, understand uh, exactly where you're coming from uh, and where you want to go. Um, and if, you know, maybe it, maybe it, it goes back to that that that, that, that CEP uh, evaluation, but. Because maybe because I've been doing this for so long and in so many different places and, and you know and, and to me certain things maybe are clearer than they are uh, in the minds of people I'm I'm addressing um, and uh, I think I I I can I will always need to do better uh, in terms of being as as as, as clear uh, as possible uh, about uh, about the work that, that, that we need to do.
1: And then the final question is a much more softball question. Uh, (laughs) What are you watching, reading that you would recommend to our listeners? Are you going to be on brand and read legal text,
0: or are you going to tell
1: us (laughs) (laughs) something completely different?
0: No, obviously. Uh, yeah, especially because the pro- this way this process has gone, uh, I've had to reprint and reread a whole bunch of things that I had, you know, uh, a couple of months ago. Um, and uh, somebody's going to get a bill for my printing at one point. Um, I've been reading, uh, obviously, of you know everything that matters about this the, 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 this upcoming responsibility. Um, uh, whenever my Twitter addiction uh, gives me, uh, you know, re- releases me. Uh, or you know, or when I tried to try and gold turkey, I've been rereading uh, *Sacred Games*, uh, which is one of the most brilliant uh, book uh, I've ever read um, on so many levels. Um, and if anyone as has, has, I highly encourage you, to, if you don't know it, to 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 reread it. There's also a series that's been made out of it, uh, but uh, the book itself is just brilliant, and one of the few books that I've gone back to uh, when I want to treat myself.
1: I'm going to sound like a total philistine, but I don't know that book. So uh, I'm going to definitely look into it (laughs) now that it comes so highly recommended. Um, I think that's it. Thank you so much for your time. And um, uh, we hope that if you get elected prosecutor, that you'll keep uh, speaking to uh, all the stakeholders, including the media. We'd like a a nice and vocal prosecutor. Of Of course. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you very much.
2: This was an episode from The Prosecutor Files, a special series in which we interview candidates for ICC Prosecutor. We are Asymmetrical Haircuts, your
1: international justice podcast, and I'm Janet Anderson. And I'm Stephanie van der Berg. If you want to check out our huge archive of interviews with international justice expert or read the show notes, please go to our website asymmetricalhaircuts.com.
2: And there you'll also find all the ways to subscribe and ensure that you never miss another episode or update. You can give us a rating on any major podcast platform or you can follow us on Twitter, AsymmetricalH.
1: This episode in the series of The Prosecutor Files has been produced with sound editing support from Open Society Foundations. Music is by Audionotics.com. Stay safe. And have a great day.